0: It's time for another Football by Numbers bonus edition of the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, and we have author and historian Rich Smelter to help us with jersey number 50. It's all coming up with Rich in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the Dunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines and birthdays of Hall of Famers.
1: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at SportsHistoryNetwork.com.
0: Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigsCanDispatch.com, and welcome back to the Pig Pen. We tonight have another bonus edition of our Football by number series. We have jersey number 50, and we have a lot of people to talk about on there. But I've got some help tonight. I've got an author that's wrote a lot about football, Rich Smelter. He is a PFRA member and has helped with the PFRA on projects like the 1966 Green Bay Packers, the 58 Colts, the 51 LA Rams. He's also wrote some books on his own, uh, USC Trojans Football Encyclopedia, the Raiders Encyclopedia. He's even wrote books in basketball, the LA Lakers Encyclopedia, LA Dodgers Encyclopedia. And I'm going to throw a little curveball here because he's thrown at us and we're going to ask him this in a second. The Browns, the Cleveland's team. He wrote that book too. So let's bring him in. Let's ask him some questions. Rich Smelter, welcome to the pig pen.
2: Thank you, Darren. I'm looking forward to jumping right into that pig pen with you. <laughs>
0: yeah. You're going to get a right. little muddy in here. You know, be ready oh, to get some dirt. sounds great. Sounds great. Because <laughs> we roll around in <laughs> mud a little bit.
2: Old school football.
0: That's right. That's right. So tell us a little bit about this, uh, this writing. You have, you have a lot of things from the, the West Coast. And then all of a sudden, the Cleveland Browns pops up in there.
2: The Cleveland Browns was the first book that I wrote when the Browns left town and then they were ready to come back, I thought, Hey, let's take a, let's take a shot. Cause I've always wanted to write a book. So I said, you know, let's take a shot. So I told my family, I'm going to do this. And I sent out some queries <clears throat> before, you know, it, people were actually interested. It's like, okay, great. Now I got to write it. So it's a, just a book about the greatest moments of Cleveland Browns history from 1946 through 1999, you know, when they, when they were coming back to town and uh, had a great time with it. And it got me started, got me, uh, so I say got my chops going on it, and uh, then I wrote a book about a, a gangster in Chicago history called Machine Gun Jack McGurn about Machine Gun Jack McGurn called Chicago Assassin, and then after okay. that, then it steamrolled with the uh, um, encyclopedias that I always wanted to do. Of course, the Raiders um, highlights the first fifty years of the team's history. The Lakers also fifty years. Dodgers the first sixty years in Los Angeles, and then the Trojans, 125 years. So everything had an anniversary tied to it. So loved every minute of it. And working with the pro, uh, PFRA, just fantastic organization, and uh, had a great time working on those also.
0: Wow, great. Now, where does your uh, your interest in football history come from?
2: Uh, <clears throat> dates back to uh, I had a sixth-grade teacher named Mr. Rish in Maple Heights where I went to, when I went to uh, school and, uh, he, he really brought me out of my shell when it came to sports. Cause I really wasn't interested in sports and he made it so passionate that all of a sudden I started to take an interest in it. And at first I was fascinated with Joe Namath of, of the jets, you know, when they won the Super Bowl mm-hmm. that year and just thought he was the coolest until, until I saw Ken Stabler and all of a sudden I was hooked with the Raiders and it was a love affair ever since on that. And that, that's how it all got started. So I'd say pretty much my interest started with the merger. The real interest started with the merger in 1970 when I was a little boy.
0: Well, that's truly an interesting myself, time.
2: I hate to date myself, but... <laughs> <I'd> say- <laughs> I was a little
0: kid. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you, so don't worry. <laughs> but okay, that, thanks. But those are two great icons to get interesting. You know, Joe Namath and uh, Kenny Stabler. I thought you were going to tell me you lost interest in Joe Namath when he put the pantyhose on, but that's that's a whole different story. We won't go into that.
2: <laughs> oh no, he also did that commercial <laughs> with Farrah Fawcett. So you can't beat him there. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> true.
0: That's true. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh those are some uh, very uh, high profile and very. Um, well, well, outspoken uh, football players, you know, for quarterbacks, you know, you didn't have a lot of them back then, but uh, those two were definitely, they spoke their mind and were in the, the media all the time. That's for sure.
2: Compliments of Bear Bryant.
0: <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's a, both a connection from Alabama. You're right. Didn't even think of that. We have a really uh, tough uh, journey here tonight because we have the number 50 tonight. I hope you're up for the challenge because we're going to go through here and try to come up with the the most significant players in NFL history. We have 101 years to choose from, and we're going to try to find the 10 best between you and I. We're going to have to agree on this. So you know we can have some arm wrestling and some uh, jostling back and forth and jockeying to to get our players in there, but we want to try to come between us mutually, the top 10 best number 50s in the nfl you up for that challenge tonight
2: i sure am let's get dirty darren
0: okay <laughs> all right well normally when we start we get, have a little bit of a head start here because the pro football hall of fame has given us uh, six individuals that were the number 50 during their careers and they're in canton ohio and they are mike singletary alec alex will joehoitz jim otto steve owen len ford and ken strong are all in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now, I'm going to uh, mention that Jim Otto and Steve Owen uh, only wore the number 50 for one year. Uh, Len Ford wore it for two years. Well, Ken Strong, 15. Mike Singletary, 12 seasons. And Alex Will Jehoitz, uh, six seasons. So just just uh, doesn't mean that we don't choose them on there, but just to give us some perspective as far as the number 50 goes. Sounds so, good. So uh, do you want to start with uh, any of those, to,
2: I'd I love it. I would love it. I I think you almost have to go number one, uh, even though I'm a Raiders guy. You know, we're, we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, I would say Mike Singletary, little Samurai Mike.
0: Oh, definitely.
2: Uh, he was he was that nobody studied harder, worked harder. He had a true passion for the game. He was a great inspiration, giving speeches, intense eyes. Uh, he had it all. And he was, he was such an overachiever. I mean, here's, here's a guy that came out of Baylor six foot, 230 pounds. He lacked speed that. So they said, and he just worked and worked and worked at it. And uh, he did a come out of games on third down situations. So he spent hours and hours of practice working on coverage techniques and allowed him to become a complete player. He studied films. Uh, he was built like a fire plug. He had a powerful upper body and he was in constant motion on the field, totally focused it just an incredible run stopper, and uh, he throws body into action anywhere, almost like a Troy Polamalu,
0: hmm.
2: you know, type type. type. Right. And uh, and he led that Bears defense in 1985 to an NFL low 2.3 points a game allowed, and uh, to an 18 and one record. It, I mean, you have to put Mike Singletary. And number one, at least in my opinion,
0: you do. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, when you're talking about him with Baylor, uh, you know, as a sophomore, he set a record for the school with 232 solo tackles as a sophomore at Baylor. You know, that's that's uh, and like you say, those eyes they were just every time he was had a Chicago Bears game on, it seemed like they would focus in inside his helmet. You see those eyes shifting back and forth, and you knew he was going after something, he had the prey wow. he was stalking, you know.
2: It was yeah. great where he says hitting people has always been his style. So he hit a lot of people. And Did you ever see the NFL film where he's, he's, uh, they focus on him and he just clobbered somebody on the field and he gets up, he goes, now that's my kind of party. And I mean, oh, yeah. just, just, just that little line like that. And uh, he, he was just an incredible, incredible linebacker.
0: That, there's uh, still, I think it's uh, the Moving the Change show on XM. They use that, uh, now that's my kind of party line. Uh, to start oh, off I'm, every show, you know, it's part of their I'm gonna in- to, intro.
2: I'm going to have to pay attention to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, he's definitely a character, and I definitely agree with you. He's going to be uh, our first one on the list, no doubt about it. He he owns that. Uh, now, which one would you like to talk about next of our Hall of Famers? Uh,
2: Alex. Alex. Okay. Alex you, uh I think it's
0: I, Woj I, I, I think is Woj- how you say
2: Wojohowicz. it. now there's a rumor that, did you ever remember the old television show Barney Miller? yes Max Gale's character is Stanley Wojohowitz right right they, there's there's a rumor I don't know how true that is maybe some maybe one of your listeners can can say can can lay claim to this but there's a rumor that somehow some there's some tie-in that they named that character in honor of Alex so you, you really? never know
0: Wow never yeah know. the nickname just, was Wojo of the character right
2: Wojo yes yeah. just just a, just a little just a little maybe mock trivia Maybe legends. I don't know, but uh, (laughs) it makes for a good story.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. That's that's interesting. I never thought of that.
2: Wojohowitz is one of my favorites. Uh, He came. He came from that. Even though he played for Detroit for a large amount of years, it was that time in Philadelphia uh, in the later 40s, which is one of my favorite teams. Now, granted, as much as people tease me, I wasn't around at that time. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) just from what I've read in books, (laughs) but. that that, that team was amazing with Steve Van Buren and Steve Van Buren running the ball. And uh, Wojciechowski, he was as hard as a rock. And he was one of Fordham university, seven blocks of granite, along with Vince Lombardi. Uh, He was a rugged six foot, 235 pound enforcer played for 13 years. Uh, He was a hard hitting, powerful compact, low center of gravity and quickness. He had that quickness to blast into defenders. Um, And he also had real surprising defensive speed, you know, for someone at that time, Nowadays, these the guys of that size, they're running four five, four, four, fouries. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to have speed at that size at that time, uh, it just – it was amazing. It, it, that, that speed allowed him to rush quarterbacks, chase down ball carriers, and uh, he even handled pass coverage with some of the top receivers of the game, you know, at that time. So can you imagine someone that's almost like a Mike Singletary, like a fireplug, you know, built like that, going after incredible receivers. Like, you know, you had Don Hudson, you had Tom Fears, just to name two, two of the all-time greats. Crazy Legs Hirsch.
0: Yeah, that's, imagine the defensive coordinators scheming that, you know, they'd have the offense all off balance of him, having him go out and cover oh, his yeah. receiver.
2: And Detroit basically got rid of him for nothing and Greasy Neal, Earl Greasy Neal, the head coach of the Eagles, picked him up off the scrap heap and uh, you know, he became a real comedian with the team and all too. So, he was kind of a Uh, complete player on the field. He was, you know, a wild man and off the field, he was quite, quite a comedian. So (laughs) I, 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 he, he was always one of my favorites.
0: And he's extremely well respected by uh, history of football. I mean, he has—he was the founder and the first president of the NFL Alumni Association, and he's also the only—the third player in history to receive the Order of the Leather Helmet, which is a prestigious salute for individuals that have made significant contributions to the game of professional football. So that's quite an honor there, too.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, I, I think, uh, Alex is, uh, on our list of, that's okay with you. He'll be our, take our second spot if that's all right. I won't
2: have a problem with Alex. No, not okay. at
0: all. <laughs> yeah. When you have the, you get the order of the leather helmet, you know, only three in history. That's a, that's a pretty big, big deal there.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: All right. Uh, what direction would you like to go to next?
2: Um, I'd like to go to Len Ford next. Okay. possible. Sure. I mean, Len Ford was again, one of my favorites, uh, he came out of the AFC with the L.A. Dons, he was a great receiver. A lot of people forget about he was a devastating uh, defensive lineman, but he was a great receiver also for the Dons until, you know, he came to Paul Browns, uh, Cleveland Browns, and uh, just – he was just devastating. You know, I mean, he he changed all – the whole defensive alignments at the time. Um, And they said because of his – because of his abilities on the line that Cleveland – in effect, actually created the first four-three defense, hmm. and that allowed Ford to line up close to the ball, ball handling action, and he had a better shot at enemy quarterbacks. He was just he had big grasp, I and mean, he was just a powerful guy, and um, just revolutionized that that position at that time.
0: Yeah, but could uh, Paul Brown? He could really notice talent, couldn't he? I mean, when the so when the AAFC disbands. You know, the, the Don's disband because they weren't one of the three taken over by the NFL. And, uh, you know, Paul Brown, he just scooped up guys like that and really made uh, better stars than they probably were before with their old teams. And they were oh, all absolutely, around. yeah. So, absolutely, r- real good judge of uh, talent, Paul Brown was. And he really knew how to fit people into his schemes.
2: He, was, he wasn't the probably the most congenial man as far as to his players, but they loved the guy. You know, I mean, of course, because he was a winner. The minute he started to lose a little bit, then all of a sudden that that luster faded and you know, Glenn Collier took over after Isn't that. Right. But
0: Going, going back to Ford, I mean, he had his, that bright moment in 1954 NFL championship game against the Lions. He picked off two passes as the Browns went on a 56-10 to 10 route of the Lions on that game. After losing
2: to them twice.
0: Yeah. So don't tell Arnie Chapman that because uh, that'll break his heart even though he wasn't alive then. But it uh, still break his oh, heart. Oh, no,
2: I won't. I <laughs> promise. <laughs> now that I know that I can maybe use that as leverage on him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You break that down if you need to anything over arnie you can tell him that all right uh i i have no problem at all even though only two seasons wearing the number 50 but i think Glenn ford was just that dominant of a player and that versatile that i i think he ought to be on our list also absolutely okay so there we have three spots filled already see this is a piece of cake yeah it's 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 easy
2: (laughs) It's easy. I thought that this was going to be hard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, just wait. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Uh, how about we go to Ken Strong next, if that's okay. Love with it. you?
2: What a complete okay. ball player. And, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, kicking, running. I mean, he, he did it all at that time. Did especially that 1934 championship game, the sneaker ball or the sneaker mm-hmm. game, when they right. went up against this incredible force, uh, the uh, Chicago Bears, they put on those sneakers and the bears had this cleats on and they were slipping and sliding everywhere. And, uh, yeah, Ken strong was, uh, uh another one of my favorites. He was probably They said he was probably the best or the greatest all around player of all time. And, uh, that came from, uh, quite, quite a few people, you know, that saw him play.
0: Now he it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, what we do on Pigskin dispatch. We, uh, celebrate the birthdays of hall of famers on every day of the year. So we have a a daily podcast on that, but it's interesting that uh, both Ken strong and another one of our hall of famers that were number 50 um, Steve Owen, who I believe, uh, I don't know if he coached uh, Ken strong or not, but uh, they did. They, okay. They, they both had shared the same birthday of April 21st, not the same year, but the same birthday. (laughs) about eight years apart, but uh, I found that kind of be kind of interesting tonight to to go into that. But yeah, Ken, Ken Strong, definitely uh a well-rounded player. And like you said, many have said he may be the best NFL player ever. And you're, you're talking, you know, that's uh, some great players, you know, like Red Grange and Jim Thorpe and there's people saying that he was, might be better than them, but uh, I don't know. I didn't have to take their word for it. I've never, never saw any of them got, do a chance to play, but uh, in my lifetime, but you know, they said,
2: they said, said, you know, he was, uh, uh, they said that there was really nothing that he could not do athletically. And, uh, he was a compact, you know, five foot, 11, 210 pounds, but he had sprinter speed. And when you brought up, Bed Grange, he had the elusiveness of red Grange and, uh, Ernie Nevers. Uh, he was as tough as Ernie Nevers and he was just an outstanding passer punter. Place kicker, defensive back. You know who he reminds me a lot of. A few years after that, about a decade later, was Bob Waterfield. I know he's not number. I know he's not number uh, fifty, but I'm going to give a shout out to Bob Waterfield because he was married to Jane Russell. What you know, the <laughs> famous movie star. So you know, he couldn't be all that bad.
0: Anytime but, you can get Jane Russell in the conversation, that's so uh, we we got to make the exactly. stretch and get there.
2: <laughs> you know, kudos to him just for that. But right, uh, no, I mean, I, I. I always thought that Bob Waterfield was probably one of the greatest complete players. And then I started to read about Ken Strong and uh, I came away even more impressed with Ken Strong where he was the, he was the Bob Waterfield of his time.
0: Yeah, and uh, the first uh, four seasons, and I, I just like saying his name, the Staten Island Stapletons, you know, yes, <laughs> 1929 yes. through 1932, before he went to the Giants. And he seems to have stayed right around New York City his whole time, you know, with Staten Island and New York Giants. Uh, NYU grew up in uh, West Haven, Connecticut, which is only like an hour by train out of the big city. So you know, he he stayed pretty much at home his whole uh, football career, it looks like. Yes. So
2: And he did a fantastic job where they said, that, that, that for almost 30 years, his 17-point performance stood as an NFL title game record. You know, uh, 17 points, I believe it was 30 to 13. I believe that was the mm-hmm. score. So, you know, he scored 17 of those 30 points on a frigid, frigid field. And uh, uh, against, a, the ice. <laughs> against a tough, tough football team, you
0: right. know, and
2: the Bears at that time were supposed to be invincible. And uh, they, uh, the, the Giants proved them wrong.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Mr. Hallis wasn't a real happy camper at the end of that game. <laughs> well, I think, uh, Ken Strong, you, you've made a convincing case. I think uh, he is uh, definitely going to be on our list with the, the fourth spot taken up, especially 15 seasons where we're not number 50. I believe he's our highest uh, player, most longevity in the number 50. If I'm thinking right, I think I am. I believe so. so. Okay, so we have uh, four names on our list. We're 4 for 4. We're really we're batting a thousand here so far. Getting awesome. on our list. Well, now now we get into the, our last two Hall of Famers and they had a, wore the jersey for one season. So that may play into this a little bit, but we can always put the players on standby and come back to them later. But uh, let's take a look at it. I know you're got to be chomping at the bit to talk about one of your uh, Oakland Raiders here.
2: Yes. Double O. <laughs> <laughs> You know, now if you look at the nineteen fifty-one Fleer football card, number one ninety-seven, you can see Jim Otto with the number fifty on him. Okay, that was that 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 card would have to be a classic card right now because that he only wore that for just a few games in 1961 before he switched over into the double O. And uh, it was just basically a promotional aspect for uh, the AFL at that time. Um, the story goes that Frank Hinnick, uh the Equipment manager, he came up to uh, Jim Otto with an idea. Uh, now, Otto was wearing number 50 in 1960 and for a few games in 61. And he wanted to know if he could switch from, from 50 to zero. And he said that uh, the quarterback of the Washington Redskins, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the name right, Johnny Olszewski. he was wearing the, the zero, he was wearing number zero to match his, his, his nickname of Johnny O., So they thought that would be kind of a cool idea. So he mentioned the idea to Jim Otto. And uh, then all of a sudden he said, wait a minute, you have two O's in your name. So they went with the double zero, just like, you know, Otto, Mm O-T-T-O. And uh, he, you know, he loved the idea. He approached, approached the Raiders. They said, fine, but they had to go through Joe Foss, the AFL commissioner. And the league was looking for any way to promote itself at that time. You know, second year in and Foss, Joe Foss went for the idea. And after two games in 1961, the legend was born with the double zero. So, I mean, Jim Otto, you could just go on and on and on and talk about the greatness that he had. I mean, he was just, just an amazing, amazing force of nature. I mean, um, they, they call him Mr. Raider, um, Simply because, you know, he, you know, you have to realize it's a, it's a heck of a compliment when you're coming, when you're considering all the tough wild guys that played for that organization. And he stands out as Mr. Raider. Uh, he led by example, hard work, dedication, hard nosed ball player. Uh, he was a charter member of the AFL. And the amazing thing is he came into the, he came into the Raiders as a free agent. He only weighed 205 pounds as a center out of the university of Miami And, you know, he just showed up there uh, and he quickly showed determination and uh, through weightlifting and he beefed himself up to 250 pounds and just began overwhelming opponents. And for, you know, 15-year stretch, he started all 230 games in his team's regular season games and 13 postseason games, 12 Pro Bowls. And he did this all during all these injuries. And, I mean, the injuries that he had are absolutely, you know, it would probably knock a mortal man down, you know, and he would play with all these injuries and just, you know, his knees, his shoulders, every, he probably has more replacements. I know they amputated his one leg because of all the, because of all the uh, um, surgeries to it. But yet, I, I heard this and I I heard that he actually has the Raiders shield on his artificial leg.
0: So really. Wow! Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. That I was sitting there looking at that earlier. You know, just, uh, every game that the existence of the AFL that the Raiders were in, he started every one of those games. That's unbelievable. You know, just that fact. Oh, yeah. And then, then you spend uh, four or five years in the NFL and start every game you you played in the NFL too. That's that's incredible, especially at the position of center. That's a that's a tough feat to do. I don't know if that's uh, ever been repeated by a center.
2: No, I don't think so. They, it, you know, when you when you stop and you look at the, the Raiders, uh, at that time for the first 25 years of that, that organization, first 26 years, actually, they only had two centers, Jim Otto. And one of the men I'm going to be talking about in a little bit, double D Dave Dalby, but I'll let, I'll let you lead into that one.
0: <laughs> okay. all right. Well, I, uh, Man, that's that is, we talked quite a bit about Jim Ottawa. We because we started off with the zeros and double zeros. And of course, he was uh probably about two-thirds of the show because there was only like three p- people that we could really talk about with the zeros and double zeros <laughs> that were significant. Right. And I, you know, he definitely an impressive player. Um, but the one thing I, I have a problem with is only the one year in number 50. Does that make him one of the greatest number 50s? It may, but having only one season at being that first season. I'm 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 not totally convinced, so we may I I may have to just put a check mark by him unless you've got a a more compelling case, or until we get through some of these other players. You know, I'd hate to.
2: We could put an asterisk next to him. What do you say? Okay, we'll
0: put an asterisk and we'll come back to him if that's that's okay with you.
2: No, that's Uh, fine with me.
0: Okay, and I guess uh, the other players, sort of in that same category, who who probably got in the Hall of Fame because of his coaching, not because of his players, i playing I don't think, is Steve Owen. Who uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier, and uh, I don't know if you have anything on Steve.
2: He was uh, he was a tough, hard nosed lineman, and uh, but teaching was his you know t- teaching, coaching football was his forte, and um, but he he was a hard hitting guy. He was a two way tackle, and um, he played against George Hallis, played against Jim Thorpe, I mean, you know, just 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 to sit down and have a drink with this guy would <laughs> be interesting to hear what he had to say about Jim Thorpe and George Hallis.
0: I think he even played with Jim Thorpe. He played on the bull, the Cleveland Bulldogs, or maybe Thorpe was on on Cleveland's Bulldogs.
2: Oh no, Cleveland. he wasn't. He was on the Canton Bulldogs.
0: Yeah, but uh, 1926, the Giants bought the rights to him for five hundred dollars, which was a pretty good sum back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, from from the Cleveland Bulldogs, and uh, he was the head coach of the giants for 24 seasons and never signed a contract, just, just a handshake. handshake, just a handshake with the Mars. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, you never hear of that even in the old days, you know, <laughs> that's uh, Oh that's no,
2: great. not at all. And just, he was innovative. And as they said, you know, he, he was a, he was a powerful foot, uh, powerful, actually player on the field, but his real strength was in coaching defense where he came up with the umbrella defense and uh, it was the, the secondary was set up to look like an umbrella with four defensive backs representing you know the umbrella spokes, so to say to stop the Cleveland Browns uh, passing attack. You know, Dante Dante Lavelli, Max Speedy, and Otto Graham throwing the ball and uh, it did they, they beat him twice in 1950 and forced a, a playoff game. So yeah. you know he had to do something right. He won a couple NFL championships and he's in the Hall of Fame. right, <laughs> but right. as a coach, but as a coach. <laughs>
0: And, yeah, he was one of the first that implemented the two-platoon system of personnel with specialists uh, for offense yes. and defense, too. So very, very wise and uh, really paid attention to the rules and uh, tried to put his team in the best position to have advantages in, in that, uh, those rules. So you
2: know. when, you re- when you really stop and you think, I mean, I'm going a little bit, uh, unfortunately, off track, but when you really stop and you think about it, when he came up with that two-platoon system, that really opened up the offensive game. When and then you started to think about the Rams in the later 40s and early 50s when they just exploded with offensive firepower, which just rolled into today's game. Now, you know, so you know, you can even trace it back to Steve Owen, you know, and, and setting up that that two platoon system, which basically started the, the way that the game is played today. If yeah. that makes any sense, what I just said.
0: Yeah, no, no, most definitely it does. That uh, I totally agree with that. <laughs> I'm going to have to pause this for one second here. So that's uh, that's our Hall of Famers. I think Steve Owens is probably another one that we'll put it, maybe maybe come back to. He doesn't have as strong of a case as uh, as Jim Otto does. I don't think for being a player. But uh, we'll put a little asterisk by him, come back to him. But now I guess it's time to go into these for these other six spots uh, in, uh, with also consideration of Jim Otto, but looking at some of the players that aren't in the Pro Football Hall of Fame yet. And uh, who would you like to talk about as, as those players?
2: I'd love to go back to the Raiders. Okay. And I'd like to leave double double zero and go to double D, Dave Dalby.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: He replaced, you know, replacing a legend such as Jim Otto uh, couldn't have been an easy task. But after doing so, Dalby just went on to make, an, uh, make his mentor proud. Uh, he was drafted in 72 by the Raiders in the fourth round. Uh, and he learned the center position from one of the game's greatest all time players in Jim Otto. And after three seasons of apprenticeship under Otto, he was ready to take the reins. And beginning with the 75 regular season opener, he never relinquished his starting job until giving away to Don Mosbar two games into the 1985 season. So you look and you go, you know, for 25 years, the Raiders only had two centers and uh, it's absolutely amazing. And he was part, he was also part of one of the greatest offensive lines in history, played alongside Hall of Famers, Gene Upshaw, Art Shell, uh, Dave Casper at tight end. It made Ken Stabler very, very safe. He, uh, Dalby was a tremendous center and snapper on extra points and field goals. And over his 14 seasons, he had 205 consecutive game appearances as a member of the Raiders, and it ranked him near the top in in team history in those categories. And he was also the starting center in three Super Bowls in 76, 80, and 83, and served as offensive captain from 82 to 84. So he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I I seriously would love to campaign for him. Um, And I believe that the more Raiders that are getting in there now – especially with coach Flores getting in there. I I hope that it'll open up the door to Dave Dalby because he really does deserve to be in there with Joe Otto.
0: I, I think you definitely make a real compelling case for him. I didn't realize that from, so from 1960 to 1985, the center position was only handled by two men, that, two men. for the Raiders. That's unbelievable.
2: Yes. That's, could you imagine coming to the tryout camp as a center?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that chance you're going to get any playing time, kid. <laughs> exactly. Wow. That, that is really impressive. Now, not to put you on the spot or anything, but uh, as in the PFRA, do we have him in the Hall of uh, the Very Good?
2: You know what? I don't know. I don't know if I saw that. I, I believe he is, though.
0: Okay, I I believe he is. It sounds like he is. I don't have that verified, but name sounds familiar enough that he may be.
2: I think I believe I did see that. I I can't verify it for for a fact right now. I don't have the info in front of me.
0: Usually lately, that's been sort of the stepping stone for the the Pro Football Hall of Fame. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. So so maybe that'll be a good sign if he is. So
2: let's hope he was was, uh, up for it in 2000. But then after that, not didn't hear anything about him.
0: Well, there's a lot of rumblings going on. I, I know in the the back uh, alleyways of uh, football that uh, they're going to try to open up some more for some seniors getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the coming year. So maybe that'll be an opportunity for for folks like uh, Dave Dalby to get I in. I so hope
2: so. Because I don't want to go off course there, but there's so many Raiders that belong in the Hall of Fame that aren't because of the color of their uniforms. You know, the the, the silver and black are not too well beloved so to say and um i think that has a lot to do with keeping guys like dave dalby out and uh hopefully someday he'll be in there with many of the other raiders
0: well let's talk about that for a second as long as you're on the subject because having a raiders fan on i don't get that opportunity all the time now that they almost sort of embrace that mystique of being sort of the everybody's uh bad guy and you know the uh I don't know if I would say bad guy, but they always wanted to be that sort of rogue character in the the league. And they played hard, and they they hit hard, and they played well. But they just always sort of had that uh, that uh, moxie about them, you know. And the know swagger, I, yes, Yeah, you know, the swagger. That's the word I'm looking for. So,
2: but you know, great, great is great, and you can't you can't bypass people because of the way that you know, the, the reputation that the team had. And I mean, good, good, great, however you want to say it again, is, uh, it speaks for itself, the this, statistics this, this and all. And um, they should they should be in there. They, they, just to go off a little bit, there was an old movie star named John Barrymore. And he was just like that. He was a rogue. He was a misfit, everything like that. He was an incredible actor. but And he, he always kind of scoffed at the Academy Awards and all. But deep down inside, he wanted to win one so bad you know, because he just wanted to, you know, show, show that, you know, he wouldn't embarrass himself or embarrass the uh, Academy. And I believe that that's the way that, uh, the, again, that went a little bit off track there, but that's how I feel about the Raiders where they might scoff and say, Oh, you know, we don't need the hall of fame and all but but they, they do need the hall of fame. I mean, they should be put in that. They should be put among uh, their peers.
0: I agree, but uh, I don't think we're going off track at all because we're talking about football history. And that's what we're here to talk about. But you know, I I have sort of a, a theory on the, the whole thing with the Raiders, and I think it stems from uh, you know Al Davis, who owned the Raiders for you know many years. I think was two or three years into when he took over ownership of them, and uh you know controlling interest anyway. And he. uh he sort of had a battle going on with Pete Rosell, who was the commissioner for you know decades and, oh, yes. and during that time. And they had a couple run-ins, you know, both, uh, first of all, when the AFL against the NFL, they were, they were both the heads of their organization and they uh, battled there. And uh, then, you know, in the 1980, was it 1980 when the Raiders wanted to move to LA, they went to court and, uh, yes. and Rosell and Davis again, head to head, you know, in the press at each other. And I wonder if maybe that had some of the, uh, the mystique of the Raiders because uh, Roselle, you know, sort of trying to put on the white hat and uh, you know, saying, Oh, the, you know, Al Davis is the bad guy. You know, it's, I just wonder a little bit of that too.
2: Oh yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, it's always saying you know the, the, the guy with the white hat rides off into the sunset as the hero, but it was the guys that were black that, rode off into the sunset as heroes, and that had to just tear Pete Rozelle up. Um, I mean, if you ever have a chance to ever see, which I'm sure that you did, the highlights from Super Bowl 15 in New Orleans when the Raiders came out of nowhere, wild card team, and they beat the Philadelphia Eagles in that game. Mm-hmm. And Pete Rozelle had to go into that locker room and give that trophy to Al Davis. That had to be the you know the longest few moments of his life. And then a few years later, when they did represent the city of Los Angeles, and then he had to give him another trophy. And um, mm-hmm. Al Davis was always... The person, you know, I take what I want when I want. And that was his theory with the Raiders. That was his theory in life. And, you know, it's like, I want to move to Los Angeles. Well, we'll talk about it. No, you don't understand. We're moving to Los Angeles. And they did. And they wound up still being winners. And um, uh, absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible story. And uh, I could just go on and on. I, I don't want to go, again, I don't want to go off track on this but maybe we, maybe i could come back and we could talk about the raiders for about five hours. Okay. What do you saying?
0: <laughs> well you know i'm a steelers fan so there's one game i definitely want to talk about but we'll we'll get into that some other time <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> never happened <laughs> <laughs> never happened <laughs> you're you're yeah well, well that's that hurts different, darren that's a totally different <laughs> show it's <laughs> totally different show that's a different show <laughs> i
2: promise
0: i'll come back <laughs> Well, you really made a compelling case for Dolby. You know, I'm, I'm leaning towards. You know, I think maybe he ought to be put in now as our fifth spot. That, that's absolutely. impressive. Okay, absolutely. So I didn't think I'd have an argument from you.
2: <laughs> oh no, no. Put, put put double D right on the uh, right on the doorstep with the Hall of Famers because he he'll cross that threshold one day.
0: Okay, I I think he will. I think he will. Now I. I'm upset with myself. I'm putting Jim Otto on hold and taking Dolby in, but uh, it's only because of that one year with the uh, wearing a jersey number fifty. Right. That's that's my only right. reservation there. But uh, I, I understand. I could change my mind here. You know, as we go through these guys. All right.
2: Um, he'll always be in the. He'll always be. he always be number one in my heart.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. Uh, who do you want to talk about next?
2: Uh, I I was always a fan of the Vince Lombardi Packers and the Los Angeles Rams in the later 60s. You know, probably the greatest team that never won anything as far as a Super Bowl, to a, a league championship. And Ken Iman was the uh, center for you. He played a backup to Jim Ringo in Green Bay. And Jim Ringo was a Hall of Famer. So,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: wouldn't be bad sitting behind him. And he wound up, uh, uh, he played in three NFL championship games with the Packers from 60 to 62. He won two of them. And then he wound up going to the um, the Los Angeles Rams. Had a great great career there, and he started 140 straight games with the Rams from '65 to '74. And he was voted the team MVP in 1972. Which a center being the team MVP, you know, I mean that speaks for itself right there. So I would say you have to you have to put him up on that on that list.
0: Yeah, especially uh, if you got the team MVP. Uh, in his twelfth season, too. That's that's impressive. You know, usually right, right. they're declining, especially on the offensive line. Mm-hmm.
2: And that yeah, that Rams team was and that 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 line that he anchored, and you know, with Tom Mack on there, and uh, with just the receivers that they had, the backs, Roman Gabriel at a, a quarterback, great defense, and um, it just fascinates me. I mean, they they happen to just run into teams like the Green Bay Packers, the Baltimore Colts, the Minnesota Vikings around that time that just, you know, stopped them out of the playoffs. But again, you know, there's an old, you know, cliche. Well, if it wasn't for so-and-so, if it wasn't for this, I'd be world champion. And uh, you can say that about the Rams at that time uh, With without those teams, they would have, they would have steamrolled over anybody. I truly believe that.
0: Okay. So we want to give him our, our sixth uh, selection on our top 10 list. I would love that. Okay. I would love that. I have no problem at all with that. I had him earmarked anyway. So one of okay, those. good. <laughs> now, uh, who, now, who was the other one you want to talk about? Uh, D.D. Lewis, is that?
2: Uh, D.D. Lewis, we can do some D.D. Lewis, sure.
0: Oh, okay, I, I thought that's where you're going to next. I'm sorry.
2: Oh no, no, that's fine. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, he was a, a phenomenal college player, and then he was, you know, played in two Super Bowls. Um, you know, won two Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, was a leader for Tom Landry just as a rookie a rookie in training camp, he was first, first he was moved over to center. He's moved over to center and then they moved him downside linebacker. Um, and then he just became the linebacker and, uh, just f- phenomenal, phenomenal talent. So you'd have to put him on there.
0: You, you think you put him on the list or you think, uh, maybe put a check mark by him.
2: I mean, he started 135 games for the Cowboys. Okay. Out of 186 played. So, um, I'd have to say so. I mean, you know, okay. again, playing for Tom Landry, you know, and being a star like that. Yeah, let's put him on the list. Maybe All right, not- Yeah,
0: 14 seasons. So, yeah. Okay. He's exactly. got our seventh spot then. All right. Uh, what direction would you like to go to next?
2: How about Mike Vrabel? Okay. I mean, Mike Vrabel, he started 140 games, 57 sacks, 11 interceptions. Uh, just great. Great, you know, great, powerful guy and uh, became a, one heck of a coach. Played, played under Bill Belichick, which um, could probably be a little bit trying at times, I think. But, you know, he was a three-time Super Bowl champion. He was a first-team All-Pro in 2007 when the Patriots did go undefeated in the regular season all the way up until the Super Bowl. And he made the Pro Bowl that year. And when the New England Patriots were selecting their 50th anniversary team, there was no question that he wasn't going to be on that. Uh, he made Sports Illustrated's All-Decade Team, and um, just just a really he had 740 tackles, 57 sacks. Let's put him on the list.
0: Okay, I I agree. I mean, I he's one of the. Uh, it's like that big fish that got away. You know, the Steelers had him drafted him and had him for four years on their roster and didn't really utilize him to what he was good at, and. uh, but he went with belichick and just all of a sudden really blossomed into a outstanding player
2: yeah, belichicks belichick was incredible uh, yeah and, and still still is and i still think bill Belichick will be back but yeah he he just had a great great he he to me he runs that team like a college program you know a couple years in a couple years out you're in and he shuffles these players back in and sometimes you look like who the heck are these guys you know and mm-hmm. like you said you know Ray will kind of just was hanging around Pittsburgh. And then all of a sudden he blossomed with the, with the uh, New England Patriots and wound up being a legend there.
0: Yeah. He loves to take uh, players that are cast off from other teams and recycles them into something special. That's for sure. He's done it more than once. Okay. uh, So we have uh, Mike Vrabel as our eighth player on our top 10 list. So we have two spots left. So got to be real selective here. Make sure we don't miss anybody Player, Would you like to talk about next?
2: I'm thinking, how about if we go to, Hmm. How about Larry Gordon, okay, Miami Dolphins? Sure. He won uh, – the Dolphins have have an award there called the Tommy Fitzgerald Award, which is given to the uh, Dolphins' Outstanding Rookie in Training Camp. He won that in 1976, and he became an outstanding linebacker. Uh, 1978, he intercepted three passes in one game, unfortunately, against the Raiders, and it clinched a wild-card berth. And um, he was – just a, a tough, tough tackler. He was—he was a very, uh, like a very, very, as they said, swift predator to opposing ball players. And uh, he was a phenomenal hitter. And he had great acceleration for blitzing, agility for pass coverage as a complete linebacker. So I, I would love to put him on there. Unfortunately, his life was snuffed out early when he had a heart attack while jogging in the desert. Uh, right before the nineteen eighty three football season, and he passed away at the age of twenty eight.
0: Oh yeah, that's that's way too young, way too young. Yeah, very very good player. I remember him playing, and uh, he was definitely a force to be reckoned with when you played the Dolphins. But I don't know if I want to put him on yet, though, because there's okay. still there's still some guys on there that uh, I'm not I'm not dismissing them, but uh, there's still some guys on there I think uh, we got to we got to talk about here got a name like Justin Houston. You know, where does he fall in this whole thing? He, you know, he's still, I'm not sure if he's still playing or not. I think he is. He played last year with Indianapolis. I think he might be a free agent right now, but you know, when you look at what uh, Justin Houston's done, he has four pro bowls. One time as an all pro Uh, he's got 97 and a half sacks in his career. So far forced fumbles 17 in his career. He uh, led the NFL in 2014 in sacks with uh, 22. That's uh, some impressive numbers here to talk about.
2: Yeah, we could we could, we could could put him on there. I'm going to follow your lead on that one. I, I would say.
0: I hate to see a guy with 97 and a half sacks and still going, not not beyond the, the greatest of all time list for the 50s. I, I think he definitely deserves to be on And he's wore the jersey for 11 seasons, so it's sort of hits all the criteria there. Uh,
2: Let's put him up on there.
0: Okay, so he's our ninth spot on there. And is there anybody else that you'd like to talk about?
2: I would say maybe Jeff Seaman. Okay, um, you know he's part of that part of that people purple uh, purple people here defense in right. uh, Minnesota. Let, you know we, we could we could debate him if you want. Okay, I mean, he was a four time Pro Bowler and he was one of the uh, all time one of the fifty all time greatest Minnesota Vikings. And again, he played on some great defenses. What, what do you think about him?
0: Definitely. I've taken a good look at him, but okay. So we have this one last spot left. So, I mean, I think he's definitely worthy of consideration, but you've got, you know, you still got auto hanging out there. You really talked up uh, Larry Gordon quite a bit. Yes. And, uh, and I don't know if you have anybody else that you want to talk about. I, mean, I didn't Mike know if you pile
2: Mike Pyle from the old Chicago bears. He was a offensive team captain in 1963 when they won the championship and uh, he was a center, went to Yale. But I, again, I, I don't know if that would, I don't know if that would constitute him being one of the all-time greatest, but I just kind of wanted to bring him up because uh, the 63 bears are, are one of my favorite teams. Also, Even, I'm not a Chicago bears fan per se, but that 63 team, I, I, I always was fascinated with, you know, George Allen was a uh, defensive coordinator. Of course, George Hallis was the head coach and uh, Mike Pyle, was the captain of that team. So I, I just kind of threw him on there like that. Yeah. Maybe, I, mean, maybe I was thinking with the heart,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's definitely a great player, but there's other players I'm saying, you know, I don't even think they'll make the list. You have guys like, you know, Sean Lee, who, you know, probably if he didn't have so many uh, confounded injuries that interrupted his career, he could probably have been a real beast on it. He wasn't, he was a beast when he was on the field, um, you know, and, players you know like larry foot and aj hawk you know great players that probably don't even get a sniff at uh what these other gentlemen have done but d- definitely want to, want to mention them um, hey ricky
2: allison
0: mm-hmm. um
2: yeah. and there, there's one man there's one man on this list that i saw uh jake cup and i i, I bring his name up not, not because of you know what he did as a player and all granted he did things i could only dream of but he was the very first football card when I was 10 years old. He was the very first football card that I pulled out of a pack of Tops uh, bubblegum cards with that stiff, hard piece of bubblegum. <laughs> and he was the very first player. And all these years later, that stuck in my head. So when I saw his name on this list, I said, I have to br- I have to give uh, Jay Cup props on that because he was the very first card I ever pulled out. Not Joe I- Namath, not Johnny Unitas, boom,
0: Jay Cup. So, I think I think so I had, had a few a of his cards too. <laughs> yeah, well, one of my friends once said, "You know, because we collected tops together and we trade them all the time." He said, "You know, tops—it's the only uh, place where the sometimes the cards taste better than the gum." So I said, "I He's don't like, know oh, if I ever yeah. really tasted the card, but uh, I believe you."
2: <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but people that know me know I'm weird anyway. So I might as well say
0: this:
2: <laughs> <laughs> that you know, you 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 wouldn't chew the gum because it was terrible, but you'd just smell that card. And it just smelled great. And like you said, I, oh. I never ate the cards, but, you know, <laughs> but it's <laughs> at least I'm not going to admit to it, but, you, you, <clears throat> but they just smelled so good. And the, the bubblegum smell in there was, was awesome. And, uh, it, and it seemed to linger for a while on there too. So that, that always made it fun, but yeah, you know, I tipped my hat to, to Mr. Cup, you know, the very first card I ever pulled out. So, you know, I get, I had to give him props.
0: Well, I don't know how you can remember the very first one you pulled out. Wow, that's that's good. I remember great stupid. Memory. I
2: remember stupid things like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a that's a good memory. Yeah, thank you. Sure. thank you. Thank <laughs> you. All right. Uh, well, do we need to go into some del- deliberation here? Choose who our tenth player should be. Um. Yeah. Sure. Got, let's do that. So I think I think basically, uh, the, the I have uh, Larry Gordon. We said we wanted to come back and talk about Mike Pyle. Jeff uh, Seaman, Steve Owen. I don't think he's under consideration, but Jim Otto, Jim Otto is. Um, So we really have three, three horse race here for that one spot.
2: As much as I, as much as I would want to say Jim Otto, I would have to say that you you probably can't put Jim Otto on that list for number 50. Again, it's killing me to say that, but uh, he really only played, let's say, you know, 14 games and then in the the first season and just three games in the 61 season. So that's, you know, only 17 games that he used it and his whole claim to fame was the double zero. So I would have to take Jim Otto off that list, a number 50s.
0: Yeah, but, I de- but, yeah, definitely. When I think of Jim Otto, I think of the double, double zero. So exactly. I don't think of 50. So I think that's uh, being a football purist. I think that we are, I think uh, we, we got to. Maybe put the other guys in a little bit higher consideration because uh, Jeff Seaman wore the jersey fifty for eleven seasons, and uh, Mike Pyle wore it for nine seasons. So almost a decade between you know each of them wearing number fifty weighs heavy here. I'm leaning probably a little bit towards uh, Jeff Seaman, but I don't know where where your feelings are.
2: Me, yes, myself also.
0: Okay, so we'll we'll put him as our tenth spot here. And just a review real quick here, in no particular order. We have uh, Justin Houston, uh, Mike Vrabel, Jeff Seaman, D.D. Lewis, Dave Dalby, Ken Iman, Ken Strong, Len Ford, Alex Wojahowitz, and Mike Singletary as our top ten. Hopefully, I didn't miss anybody there. I think that's ten. So, yeah, great job. That's always a tough thing when you get near to the end. There, does that last spot? Right.
2: Yeah. The first couple are very easy. You know, Mike Singletary, that just rolled right off, you know, but as you said, right. there's a little, little stutter steps every now and then toward, toward the end.
0: Yeah. And there was even some, some good Steeler linebackers in there too, you know, and you had the, the David Littles and, uh, you know, Earl Holmes and, uh, you know, but I, I, they just didn't have the careers that these other guys had and uh, they weren't one of the top Steeler linebackers ever either. So, but uh, good right. players. All right. Uh, well, th- I appreciate you helping me out on that. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough job and I'm, number 50 is a big number, but uh, you have us uh, doing a lot of writing. Are you have anything currently that's uh, coming out or just out or something you're working on? You want to talk about
2: right now? I have a book at the publisher right now dealing with uh, the early pro football history of uh, Los Angeles. And that'll cover when Red Grange did his barnstorming tours and uh, he went to Los Angeles, had a huge turnout there. And the pro football was kind of banned from there because USC didn't want to share the Coliseum. You know, they didn't want, they wanted to be the alpha dogs in town. So Los Angeles wound up having an incredible, incredible semi-pro league, you know, semi-pro following from the 1930s through 1946 when the Rams finally did, you know, break the, break breakthrough and created manifest destiny for the NFL. And that book will highlight from the 1920s until the, uh, the culmination of when the Rams finally put it all together and won the 1951 NFL championship. And that was a lot of fun to work on. And that's at the publisher right now. So oh, okay. hopefully, hopefully the editing is going well and they like what they see.
0: Now, now do you have a solid title for that, that we can look for? Or is that right still now I just second? have,
2: right now I just have a uh, pro football win Hollywood but I'm sure okay. they might change that title, but for right now, that's what it is. If when I find out anything, I would love to let you know.
0: Yeah. Let us know. And we'll mention on the podcast, we'll put it up on pigspindispatch.com and uh, make sure everybody knows about that. So we'll look for that book. And how about uh, anything else that what's, you, what's your future lie?
2: Well, right now I'm working also on a, uh, a book for a, a publisher uh, uh, called Bear Manor and a uh, great owner, Ben Ohmarts. And, he uh, he's allowing me to do a book on uh, the drive-in classic drive-in movies from like the 1950s to the early 1980s. When, you know, when television first started to take away the the theater going public, they kind of geared stuff toward teenagers. So the drive-ins were a great place for teenagers to go for many reasons. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it kind of, I took it all the way to like after 1982 when the VCRs took over, kind of took care of the drive-ins, but in between 1956 and 82, there were some great drive-in movies. And uh, to me, they're classics. I love that type, of, uh, that type of cinema. A lot of people don't ask me about movie choices because they're afraid that I'm going to give them some advice. But th- those movies are just incredible. And they still have an incredible following. So I'm very, very lucky to have the opportunity to do a book on that. I'm also doing some books on my under my own label, uh, dealing with Marilyn Monroe, And some more Hollywood history and also a a project called the Championship Diary Series. And I'm doing one on the 1983 Raiders, which follows the Raiders from the first day of training camp all the way through their Super Bowl victory. And each day, what went on during that season. So that's been a lot of fun so far also.
0: Wow, you're a busy guy. Huh? <laughs> I try to be, I try to be. <laughs> and quite quite a diverse thing. Yeah, the, the drive-ins ones. That, that sounds really interesting. I had the opportunity when I was probably about 12 years old, I stayed with some family down in Dayton, Ohio, which is probably about five, six hours from where I lived. And I got to spend a couple of weeks down there and that family owned a drive-in theater down, down in Dayton. So I got to go every night and see the behind the scenes. That's it's pretty a complicated thing from what I remember. You know, You had to watch for like the little spot up in the corner of the movie to come out that's when you had to start the next film role and you had to time oh. it just right so it was, i you know things i never imagined you know but i always saw those little you know like spots i thought oh boy the film you know had a problem with it they you know dumped some water on it or something but those were actually signals for the movie uh, projector people to uh start the next film going you know because they right. had like three or four roles to to go. so it's pretty interesting so i was just a uh,
2: to- it's just an exciting, a whole exciting experience. I mean, um, it, it was just a, a you know, you know, just a drive in and pull up and uh, put the speaker on the car and then drive away with the speaker still hooked up to the car. And you, know, you had to explain to your father why the car was scratched up. But um, no, it was it was a uh, it's just just an exciting time in a lot of the movies. You know, whether they're dealing with the with the monster movies or the beach movies. The name of the book is called "Beasts, Bedlam, and Babes," where it covers you know the beasts from yeah. you know the you know, the, the the horror the horror flicks, and then the Bedlam, the old biker movies from the 60s. And then it just goes on to the, you know, a lot of the, the pom-pom girls and the cheerleading movies and all the stuff that would cover the babe aspect of it. So it's, it's, been, an, it's been a lot of fun. And I'm adding more of a, um, a humorous look at these movies because as much as I love them and stuff, I mean, come out with space, you can't take them too serious. You can't be too... Uh, too pompous to think, you know, that, that you can come up with an educated, um, review of it. You know, you have to have some fun with it. And, uh, I'm having the time of my life writing that one.
0: Oh God. The, the title sounds fun. That sounds very intriguing. You know, that, uh, <laughs> who wouldn't be interested in that? Those are, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, usually I you. think the three B's, you know, beer, bacon, and barbecue, but that, that's your three beers are, bees are pretty good too.
2: <laughs> well, I, I figured, you know, the B movie thing, you kind of had to stick with the B theme, you
0: know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Well, hey, I appreciate uh, Rich joining us today and uh, sharing you know, your football history knowledge with us, uh, helping us with those number 50s. And uh, hope to have you on again. Uh, soon. Either come on, talk about the Raiders, or maybe we can get you on another number here. Uh, but uh, very interesting. And uh, we appreciate you coming on today.
2: Darren, I would love it. anytime. I had a great time talking to you. And I, whether you want to talk about the Raiders and we'll talk about that game that, you know, I don't want to talk about, but I will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 72 game. But... Um, <laughs> What was that the Immaculate Something?
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. called. <laughs> <laughs> it
2: kinda kinda escapes my memory.
0: <laughs> I, can Jake,
2: I can remember Jake. I remember Jake Cup pulling getting, being pulled out of my first pack of bubblegum cards, but I I, I kind of have a tendency to forget that that Immaculate <laughs>
0: <something>. <laughs> I think that was a Philville Biano and John Madden's favorite game they were ever part of, I think they said. <laughs> yeah, Some, <laughs> Jack Tatum, <laughs> Jack yeah, Jack Tatum also. too. <laughs> All right, my friend, I thank you for your time today and uh, hope to hear you real soon. And uh, everybody check out his books. Uh, sound, they sound real intriguing and uh, he's got quite a variety of football books to pick from and some other topics too. So uh, make sure you check those out and uh, I'll make sure you give me some of those uh, uh, things in the uh, show notes. I'll put some links into to your books and uh, we'll try to get some people connected to them.
2: Sounds great, Darren. And again, like I said, I had a time of my life talking with you and uh, love to be on your show anytime.
0: Okay. Let's do it again. All right. Thank you. And just to coin the Raiders, just win, baby. I had to (laughs) get that in there. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast.
1: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, aka the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network.